You're listening to the Business in Morocco podcast, the podcast that discusses all things business and all things Morocco. My name is Ryan Mimone, and I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Kirk, and our goal is to share our knowledge and experiences in order to help you gain wisdom, skills, and habits that can help you succeed in business and in life. You can learn more about us by going to our website, moroccopodcast.com. All right, let's get started with today's episode. It's going to be a lovely day. Welcome to episode six of the Business in Morocco podcast. What's going on, Ryan? Well, this has been an exciting week for me. I just signed a contract with a, a major company to do some team building training over the next 12 months. That's really exciting. I'm noticing that things are starting to pick up March and the end of April. It's going to be a busy, busy time. What about you? How are things going? Good. We've talked recently in the, in the last few episodes about deep work, opportunities, challenges here in Morocco, time management, long-term thinking. And as we talk about these subjects, it is causing me to change the way I do things a little bit. For example, we just started this podcast a few weeks ago and the process of building the website, creating a brand, putting resources on the website, just trying to figure out what the customer wants. It's been an exercise in deep work. It's also been an exercise in long-term thinking. In these first few weeks of the podcast, we don't have a lot of listeners. Right. It's hard to get feedback <laughs> when you don't have a lot of listeners. Send us some love, people. Let us know how we're doing. So I've really been focusing on long-term thinking. We both know that this podcast is not likely to give us immediate results. Mm -hmm. This is not an exercise in immediate gratification. We're thinking long-term. We're thinking evergreen content, mm -hmm. content that can help people for years to come. So it takes a lot of discipline to do all of this work knowing that we may not see any results for months or years. Yeah. But we also want to begin well. We want to have our podcasts edited and presented well. We want to have the transcripts available for people. We want to offer valuable resources. We want to help people learn English. Setting up our digital footprint to have a good-looking brand and name and content, it takes time and effort, and it's been tiring, as we talked about. Mm. But I think we're in this for the long haul. Again, like Ryan said, we appreciate your feedback. Tell us what you think about the website, about the podcast. If you have comments, send us an email at ryan at moroccopodcast.com. I love what you're saying about producing evergreen content and thinking long-term. You recently put me onto a podcast and I went right back to the start and I'm listening to episodes that they recorded back in 2016. And so there's a thought that that could be happening here as, as there's a trend of increasing amounts of businesses coming to Morocco, increasing entrepreneurship, and definitely an increased level of English speakers interested in doing business here. This podcast could really gain traction over time. And so there could be people listening to this episode in 2021, 2022, who scroll back and are starting at the beginning of our feed, even though we might be 100 plus episodes deep. And so that's very wise, long-term thinking, 
not only that we'll be benefiting or, or gaining rewards from the work that we're putting in, but also that we want to set patterns. We want to build a brand that's consistent starting from day one. So love what you're saying there. Yeah, I do that with a few of the podcasts I listen to. Usually I'm introduced to a new podcast in a different podcast. For example, uh, the Tropical MBA podcast will have a guest. And I believe that's where I found the Seeking Wisdom podcast. Hosts of the Seeking Wisdom podcast were on the Tropical MBA podcast, and that's how I heard about them. Yeah. And so I did the same thing. I went back to the very first episode of Seeking Wisdom and started from scratch. Yeah. And I think that is a fairly normal way of consuming podcast content, especially content that is somewhat timeless. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some podcasts that get very technical. So if you're listening to, as we talked about a few weeks ago, a marketing podcast from 2012, it may not all be relevant in 2019. So you may just need to skip that a few of those podcasts. But yeah, Yeah, you think Snapchat didn't exist. It wasn't possible to advertise on Instagram. I mean, it's been seven years, but it's a different world in marketing. This sort of leads into our topic for today, how to test an idea. We know that podcasts are increasingly popular around the world for a variety of reasons. You can listen to things while you are doing other tasks like commuting, doing chores around the house, doing mindless tasks. You can listen to podcasts and learn. This idea has already been tested for us. We know that podcasts, the question that we need to answer is a podcast in English in Morocco. Is that going to be popular? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be desired by an audience? Will there be a demand for it? One of the ways we're testing that market is by doing a lean startup. We're not investing thousands of dollars in this podcast. We have borrowed a microphone from our friend. (laughs) We have very minimal expenses for storing our data. I am using a free audio editing software to do this podcast. We bought the domain name, which was $9, 9 US dollars. So in every sense, this podcast is a lean startup. Right. Uh, We are testing the market. We're going to get feedback and we're not investing a lot of money or a lot of resources in this podcast until we can get an idea of whether or not people will like it and subscribe to it and listen to it. And we're not fresh off the plane. I mean, we didn't just arrive in Morocco yesterday. So there's some history there where I do a lot of corporate training in the business world in Morocco in English. So I meet a lot of English speaking professionals here. And I also teach at universities in English. So I'm meeting a lot of young people that are interested in entrepreneurship and startup culture. And they're in Morocco and they speak English. We know that there is a market, might be small, might be niche, but it's growing and that's the trend we want to be on. We definitely know that English is a growing trend in Morocco. Mm -hmm. So we have that established. We also know that Moroccans have smartphones. Mm -hmm. That has been established. We also know that they have earbuds. All of the mechanics are in place. Yeah. The, The foundation of a podcast is in place. What are Moroccans listening to? Mostly music, but it was the same way in the United States with MP3 players, the iPod, It was all music. Right. And it wasn't until 2008, 2009 that iTunes really even started promoting podcasts and and podcasts became a popular thing. And it's still to this day is gaining traction. Yeah. 
but it's taking over listening time for a large portion of the population. So it's only a matter of time before people realize that spending all day listening to music is sort of a waste of time. Mm -hmm. There's a time and place for listening to music, but there's also a time and place for listening to educational content, informative content, entertaining content. Yeah, I think it's the same for audiobooks. I started listening to books uh, in 2014, and even at that point, just five years ago, it was only the most popular books that had been put into audio format. There was books I wanted to digest that I had to buy in the printed form because it wasn't even available in an audio format, and that's really shifted. Now it's almost a given that a major published book is also going to be available on Audible or another listening app. I remember that as well. You would have the first version of a book come out in hardcover. A year later, it would come out in paperback, and maybe there would be an update a few years later. But today, you're exactly right. Usually, it comes out in paperback and Kindle yeah. and audio, yeah. all at the beginning. So that's definitely a trend that's that we can ride with this podcast. So today's topic is how to test an idea before you spend a lot of time, money, and effort on it. One of the things I think is most important to think about is what problem are you solving? If you start with the problem in mind and then you work towards a solution in the form of a product or service, you will be leaps and bounds ahead in your process. It's very common for companies, for individuals to come up with an idea for a product or service develop that product or service, and then go in search of a customer. And that is the backwards way to do it. You want to start with the customer. You want to start with the customer's problem. Customers often know their problem very well. The solution is not quite as apparent to them as the problem. If it was, they would have already solved it. So your job is to understand the problem, come up with the solution, by continuing to stay in contact with your customer and asking questions. Ryan, you have a great example of staying in contact with customers and asking questions. Tell us about it. Yeah, one company that stands out as an example in capitalizing on customer feedback is Lego. You know, they've been wildly successful for decades, but they're continually releasing new products and releasing products that their customers want. And the reason is because they stay in close contact and they gather feedback. So Lego, when they first opened their online shopping platform, it was possible to purchase complete sets of Lego on their website. Great business idea. They were recognizing the value of e-commerce and they were early adapters. However, they didn't sell individual pieces. And actually some very motivated Lego fans hacked into the Lego website in order to change the options so they could order just individual pieces to build their sets or to replace pieces that they had lost. Lego obviously wasn't happy about their site being hacked and they're a company with very deep pockets so they tracked down the perpetrators, those guilty of this, but then rather than press charges they had the foresight or the the wisdom to recognize, wait a minute, these are customers that are so committed to our products that they are doing something illegal. They are risking spending jail time in order to give us money for our products. We need to recognize this as an opportunity to hear from them. And so they worked with the hackers to determine what is it that you're after, how can we better serve you, and they completely overhauled their site to meet that customer demand. This is a perfect example of the ability to be flexible with your solution, with Mm -hmm. your product or service. 
because oftentimes the product or the service that you create is going to be used by your customers in ways that you don't expect. Mm. And one of the great examples of that is Twitch. For those of you who don't know, Twitch is an online platform that allows you to watch other people play video games. Now this company, Twitch, actually started as a reality TV show. It was a reality TV show streaming online. You could watch this guy who walked around and you could just follow his life online. That was sort of popular, but not really popular. And then it became a platform for for other people to create their own reality shows. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of popular, but it wasn't really popular. And so then the creators of Twitch looked at their customers and they were trying to figure out who were their really passionate customers. And they realized that the people using their platform the most were the people who were streaming themselves playing video games. And they had very passionate followers. Because if you've ever played video games, you know that at some point you just get stuck Mm -hmm. and you can't go any farther. And you'd love to be able to watch somebody else beat that part of the game that you're stuck on. Long story short, they sold their company for a reported $1 billion to Amazon. Wow. Don't get too stuck on your solution. Stay close to the customer, investigate who's using your product or service, and refine it to get the best value proposition you can. This episode is brought to you by Click Apporter. ClickApporter.com is a groundbreaking online shopping platform that allows individuals and businesses in Morocco to purchase goods online from a wide range of international marketplaces and pay in dirhams. You can pay by credit card, certified check, wire transfer, and soon, cash plus. ClickApporter manages the entire process, clears customs, and delivers right to your door. Their prices are transparent and clearly communicated at the time of checkout. They have a no surprises policy, which means you pay what you agreed to pay, even if customs or shipping charges are higher than expected. Can you see how exciting this is? You can use the ClickApporter app, shop on Amazon in Spain or France, order what you want and pay in dirhams. You don't worry about the douane, it just shows up at your door. ClickApporter, you want it, we get it. Now back to the show. All right, let's get more specific about how to test an idea. Some of the examples that are out there involve creating a minimal viable product. So if you have an idea for a software product or a service or or some sort of hard product, what you wanna do is create, you wanna create a prototype and you wanna get that prototype in the hands of people. So instead of going to a factory and having them create a mold and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a product, create a prototype. It doesn't have to be perfect. Get it in the hands of your customers and see what they they think about it. It's one of the things that I'm doing right now. My long-term vision for my business is to have an Android app that helps small business owners create and manage a digital presence online. And the way that I'm testing this idea is by engaging small business owners and doing all the work manually. So instead of spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars developing an app that I don't know will be useful or demanded by clients who are willing to pay, I'm engaging customers one-on-one, I'm doing the work for them, figuring out what they like and what they'll pay for. And then I'm gonna create an app 
that will do all of those things mm -hmm. without a person having to do them individually. Yeah. So that's one of the ways that you can test an idea before spending a lot of time and money and effort on it. Another great example that I have is there was a company that moved into Israel. They were looking for opportunities to invest and they saw there were camels everywhere. They thought to themselves, well, hey, we got these herds of camels. Why don't we uh, use the camel's milk to create some products? So they built a factory, they bought herds of camels and they started to create camel's milk ice cream. Well, they finally got the camel's milk ice cream onto shelves of stores in Israel and no one bought it. And they started asking themselves, why, why isn't anyone buying this camel's milk ice cream? Well, it turns out that camels are unclean animals in the Jewish faith. So no one in Israel, no Israeli citizen, no Jew, is going to buy camel's milk ice cream because it's unclean. And the idea about testing an idea before you invest all this money in it is they could have bought some regular ice cream or even made some camel's milk ice cream in a very small batch, uh -huh. put it on a roadside stand and start selling it in local markets, farmers markets, or on the side of the road or offering it to retail establishments. They could have spent one weekend doing that, spending maybe $100 and they would have figured out very quickly yeah. that there is no demand for camel's milk ice cream or other camel milk products. Right. When you're thinking about testing an idea, think about the least amount of work and money and effort that you can put in just to test the idea. If you get positive feedback, you can expand your efforts, you can invest more money. Yeah. Yeah, one personal example for me is I want to create a video course that someone can, can go to my website and pay money and access this course. But that's going to take a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of work to create it. So before I put in all that effort and all that work, I want to make sure that the content that I'm producing is relevant to the customers and that there's a need for it and that there's demand. To back, go backwards from that, I'm going to do live courses with people face to face rather than just videoing and you watching it at home. You have to come and be with me in the same room. Now this allows me to, to test all the, the content, to see people's reactions, to gather feedback, to be in the room with my customers face to face, and then I can tweak and refine that idea. But then even to go back from there, before I run this course, I've, I've done some things where I've mentioned it on my website, mentioned it in YouTube videos, and said, if you're interested, register here with your email address, your phone number, then I have called these people and talked with them on the phone and asked them questions like, what is it that you feel like this course will do for you? What are the problems you are facing that you're hoping this course will address? Even before I've run the first one, I've already been talking with them and gathering this feedback so that right from the get-go, I'm testing this idea and validating it. Because of course, I think the course is great. I've benefited from all this information. I think the content is useful, but I'm not my customers. I'm coming from a different place. I'm maybe from a different generation or a different background or a different education, different culture. So I need to hear from them. I need to make sure I don't fall into that idea bias, thinking it's great because I created it. But not everybody appreciates our own creations. Now, when it comes to validating ideas, there can be some issues with business ethics, and it can be a bit of a gray area. So one example that's mentioned in the book, The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo, 
there's a guy who thought about writing this high-end car guide that was going to cost $900. But he knew it would take him at least a month to produce it. And he wanted to make sure that it was something that people thought was valuable and would be willing to pay for. So he spent about two or $300 to place an ad in a high-end luxury car magazine. And he sold two. So he contacted those customers and said, uh, I'm releasing a new version at the end of the month, you know, Car Guide 2.0. It'll have some important updates and new features. No extra charge, but it's going to be delayed. Is that okay? And they both said, sure. So then knowing he'd made these two sales and knowing he had already about $1,500 profit, he spent the time and, and wrote the guide. Now, what are your thoughts on that, Rai? Is that ethical? So I don't think I would feel 100% comfortable with telling people I had something for sale when I didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that this is fairly common, especially in the software community for validating ideas. They will allow people to put deposits down or to actually buy it online. And then they'll later tell them, hey, I actually don't have it yet, but it will be coming out. And uh, that's one way of doing it. I'd like to be a little bit more transparent. I think it's perfectly okay to say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going to develop. Here's the value of it. Here's the methodology. Here's the cost. Here's mm -hmm. the timeline for delivery. Will you put down a deposit? Yeah. And it's one of the best ways to validate your idea mm -hmm. because many people can like a photo on Instagram. They can share a post on Facebook. They can give you their email. They can even tell you they like your idea. But that is nothing compared to someone who actually hands over money. The ultimate validator of your idea is whether someone, and not just one person, many people are willing to pay for it. And this kind of transitions us into the next topic, which is the life cycle of a product. Let's listen to this audio clip about how innovative products work themselves into the marketplace. In 1962, Everett Rogers, a professor of rural psychology, developed a theory called the diffusion of innovations to explain this phenomenon. Rogers found that individuals within any society fall into one of five different adopter groups based on how early or how quickly they adopt an innovation. Rogers' theory tells us that if you want to promote the widespread adoption of a new behavior like these, you need to market to each adopter group differently using distinct communication channels and messages. All right, so you just heard that clip about the diffusion of innovation. Basically, we have five types of people when it comes to the adoption of technology. We have our tech enthusiasts or innovators. We have visionaries or early adopters. We have pragmatists or early majority. We have conservatives or the late majority. And we have our skeptics who are also known as laggards. When you create a product or service, the people who want your product or service in the early days are probably tech enthusiasts. They're innovators. Mm -hmm. They're people who like to buy all new kinds of technology. They like to be on the leading edge. They like to try new things. They like to tell all of their friends and family about the new gadget or the new service that they're trying out. Yeah. They have no fear of technology. And they're probably expecting your product to not be 100%, meaning they're expecting some flaws. They're expecting some glitches. But that's also something they love to do is give feedback. 
They want to be involved in the development process. So when you're talking about testing an idea, you need to remember that the people who are showing interest in your idea in the beginning, that's not the majority of the public. Mm -hmm. And as your product or service evolves over time, you're going to have to change your messaging. You're going to have to change your marketing. You may even have to change the product or the service to appeal to the majority of the population, whether it's early adopters or the early majority. Those two groups, they follow the innovators, but they like to see the product or service established in the marketplace. They like to see the benefits in place. They're not as much of risk takers right. as the innovators. Yeah. So that's something to think about when you're creating your product or service. Yeah, so the question to ask is how do you get the average Muhammad on the street, you know, the average Fatima to, to give you a review? Because when it comes to technology, as you mentioned, those early adapters, they might have a far deeper knowledge and thirst for tech features that the average population just isn't interested in or finds overwhelming. Or when you think about something like like fashion, you know, some of those early adapters that are going to take on something, they're, they'll wear things that the majority would never wear. And the majority is going to be years behind and wants to keep it pretty simple. And so you have to be careful that the customers that you're speaking to are the majority. Yeah, a perfect example that we can give for this product life cycle is the cell phone. Initially, in the 1980s, there were these big clunky cell phones that were very expensive and the service wasn't great, but there were people who loved them mm -hmm. and would pay thousands of dollars for them. And then the phones got smaller and smaller. In the early 2000s, the big trend was having the smallest phone possible. Yeah. And then, as we got into the 2000s, it was, I want the biggest phone possible. When Apple came out with the iPhone and the touchscreen, since then, phones have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and the screens and the cameras have gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah. But with each of these innovations, we still have the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. To this day, we have people, it's not a lot of them, who don't want anything to do with any kind of cell phone. Right. They would probably be considered the skeptics or the laggards. Yeah. The late majority today, they probably have flip phones. <laughs> right? Motorola Razor. Yeah, they have flip phones. <laughs> and the, the, the late majority and the early majority, they're probably in the smartphone. But it's not the newest smartphone. Right. It's not the most expensive smartphone. It's not the best smartphone. They may use it for email or watching video or texting, but they're not using all of the features. Right. Your, your tech enthusiasts, your innovators, they're the ones standing in line at the cell phone store when the new version of the Samsung or the Hawaii or the iPhone comes out. Yeah. Because they want to see what new features are there are and they want to tweet about it. They want to post on social media about the new phone and tell all their friends. Yeah. With every product, there is this distribution, this diffusion of the innovation that occurs throughout society. So where do you fit when it comes to tech and new gadgets? I'm usually in the late majority. Yeah. I wait until I can see absolute benefit in things before I adopt them. I don't have a lot of patience for technical flaws mm -hmm. or for products or services not working the way that they're supposed to. So I usually wait until 
a second or third generation of a phone and they've gotten all the bugs out yeah. before I will go and buy it. All right, that's all for episode number six. If you'd like more on this topic of validating an idea, go to moroccopodcast.com, episode six. We've got some great resources in the show notes. So there's some books we recommend on this topic, The Lean Startup, The $100 Startup, and one I've recently finished called Will It Fly by Pat Flynn. Also recommend another link that'll be there. Noah Kagan is a great entrepreneur and he's an expert in validating ideas. He has a great story of how he validated the idea of a coffee-flavored gum and how he collected money before he made the product. And I'll let you go to the link to see how the story ends at moroccopodcast.com. You've been listening to the Business in Morocco podcast. My name is Ryan Kirk, here with my co-host, Ryan Maimon. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Download our entire library of podcasts on our website, moroccopodcast.com, where you'll also find extra resources related to each episode in the show notes, including a transcript of the show. If you've got a question or topic you think we should cover on the podcast, fill out the form on moroccopodcast.com or email us at ryan at moroccopodcast.com and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Our theme music is Lovely Day by Bill Withers, used under Creative Commons, and we hope you'll have a lovely day doing business in Morocco. We'll see you next time. Yeah, yeah.